This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a Beverly Hills-based psychologist, certified sex therapist, and the founder of Modern Intimacy. Thanks for joining me here where I talk about sex, relationships, mental health, and dive into your questions with practical answers and real solutions. Each week, I share insights aimed at helping you build an authentic and healthy relationship with yourself, with others, and with your sexuality. It's time to get naked emotionally, mentally, and on your own time, physically. Welcome everyone. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited. I have with me Dr. Erica Holmes. Doc Erica is a licensed psychologist, an educator, author, speaker, and consultant who values knowledge, authenticity, and empowerment. As the executive director of Champion Counseling Center and the associate program chair and director of the Psychological Trauma Studies Specialization at the Master's in Psychology program at Antioch University in Los Angeles, and the founder of Holmes Consulting, Doc Erica has provided psychotherapy and counseling, training and consultation, education and research services to individuals and organizations for over 25 years. And just when you thought her accolades were done, I'm going to keep going. Doc Erica is a frequent invited speaker at local, national, and international conferences and media events. Her main areas of inquiry and professional presentations usually focus on things like trauma, relationships, coupling, equity, belonging, empowerment, and psychotherapy with African-American clients and the integration of Christianity and psychology. Doc Erica has written five books, and today we're going to talk about her newest book out called Intimacy Does Not Equal Sex, 180 Activities to Help Couples Connect, and it's fantastic. Doc Erica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. You've been working on this book for a while. How did you how did you prioritize this as a topic? You know, it really stems from my work, um, my clinical work and the work that I do with couples in clinical practice and really recognizing that folks don't understand the importance of what I call whole person connections. Mm. Um, You know, something that some might think is common knowledge or common sense. Um, A lot of us haven't been taught to show up as our whole selves in relationships and desire that and and expect that or cultivate that with the the person that we're in romantic relationships with. I would say that a lot of folks when they picture the image of whole self, they usually think about their conscious mind and their body, right? And I wonder how you flesh out some of the other dimensions of 
the sort of whole self intimacy and what that looks like in contrast. Right. So as, as, as humans, uh, we are, there's the, the physical part of our being, Mm -hmm. right. And then there's also the psychological or the mind part of our being. And there's the spirit or the soul part of our being. When we talk about, for example, things like attachment and connection to others, um, you know, that's not our mind connection always, right? That's a part of it, but we also are connected. There's an inner part, an inner part of ourselves that connects with another. And that starts in infancy, right? And so when I say whole person, you know, in psychology, we'll talk about the, um, the mind, the body, and the soul connection, right? Mm-hmm. That all of those things are, make up who we are. All of those are aspects of who we are. Yeah. And I think it's really important to bring in that that spiritual piece because there's only so much that we are conscious of. And in the dynamics that we have between ourselves and others, whether it's a romantic partner or other friends, there's a lot going on unconsciously. And sometimes we have the scientific explanations for what those things are, but it often feels very unexplainable because we don't have conscious awareness of it. And I think that's just such an important piece to focus on because we are constantly influenced by the interactions that we have with other people. And we can look at that from a neurobiological perspective, but we can also look at it from this influencing something greater than us perspective. And I think that's a piece that in romantic partnerships sometimes gets overlooked because we tend to think about spiritual connection, well, many people do, not all of course, as uh, an individual connection between ourself and higher power. But in partnership, there often is something that bridges people together spiritually in addition to the connection that they might have with their higher power. Am I aligned with you on that or do we see things differently? No, we are very much aligned on that. And even as you know, as you mentioned in my bio, part of my areas of expertise and work focus on like this integration of, of Christianity or spirituality. Um, and so some would even say that that connection that we have with individuals spiritually is part of the higher power that lives and resides in us, connecting mm-hmm. with that higher power that lives and resides in other people, our partner being one of yeah. those. Well, I love the title of your book, Intimacy Does Not Equal Sex. That is so clever. Probably one of the things that uh, I hear most when I'm working with couples is their use of the word intimacy to actually describe sex. And when we start talking about intimacy as a broader picture and a bigger conversation, a lot of folks haven't really used that language to describe other dimensions of their relationships. So can you break down the six areas of intimacy that you highlight in your book for couples to think about and and how they're different from, you know, sex? One of the things when I'm working with couples and I'm talking to them uh, about intimacy and that connection, I often will say well, you know that you can have sexual encounters without intimacy. So true. Right? Mm-hmm. And you can have true intimacy without a sexual encounter. And so when I'm able to to explain it in that way, then there's kind of a light bulb that goes on because they can remember 
many folks can remember a time when there was, you know, experience a sexual physic a sexual experience, um, and there was no true intimacy. They did not feel it in that experience, and they then can also think of times when they felt closely interconnected to another person who they hadn't had a sexual encounter with or outside of the sexual encounter. And so, you know, thinking about it in that way, many folks can begin to grasp this idea that the term intimacy is much broader than sex, that sexual intimacy is one type of intimacy. And when you look at just the word intimacy, it comes from the Latin and it means innermost. So it's sharing those innermost parts of ourselves with another individual. And so in the book, I talk about six types of intimacy, and one of those is sex. So I talk about sexual intimacy. That's one type. I also talk about physical intimacy. And so you can have physical intimacy without the act of sexual intimacy. Sometimes physical intimacy can lead to the act of sex, but it doesn't have to. Those things like cuddling, holding hands, kissing, stroking another person where there's where there's physical contact, right? Um, another type of intimacy is intellectual intimacy. And that's where you are sharing your thoughts and opinions and ideas with another person in a deep conversation. Experimental slash recreational intimacy. That's where you are uh, gathering uh, uh, experiences with your partner, uh, experiential experiences, whether it's traveling or going to a museum or doing something novel and new. We uh, were talking about this early. There's spiritual intimacy, and that's sharing your innermost beliefs and thoughts about life, the world, the universe, and your connection to a higher power or not, right? Sharing that with another person, emotional intimacy, sharing your innermost emotions, feelings, uh, thoughts, and beliefs, um, with another person. So again, there's sexual, there's physical, there's experimental, recreational, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual are the six types of intimacies that I talk about in the book. In your work with couples, which would you say is the most commonly overlooked form of intimacy? What is so interesting, um, which might uh, not be the first that individuals think about, uh, but a lot of times with my in my work with couples, it is in, emotional, mm. right? One of the most important foundational uh, uh, aspects to connection and being, it's emotional. Individuals kind of stop and hover at, I love you. Mm. It's, I, right? They do. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's the declaration, but is there really the witnessing and the sharing that happens there around what's what in each partner's internal emotional experience is really like and what it consists of. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and have we created a a relationship where I can share my innermost feelings with my partner or do I kind of hide that part of myself because I'm afraid of being called weak or being rejected, or not being validated and held in those moments of, of you know, of, of feelings, of, especially some of those feelings that are not necessarily kind of supported, yeah. in, you know, socially supported. 
Well, it's interesting. I wonder what it is about emotional intimacy that feels more vulnerable when we've got all of these other incredibly vulnerable contexts um, within which to share. But definitely, I, I concur in my practice, emotional intimacy seems to be the place where folks uh, get the most stuck and also sort of take the landscape for granted. Um and I wonder your thoughts on why emotional intimacy might be the space where most, where more couples have a hard time. So my thought would be that um, a lot of individuals uh, are not taught to recognize or honor their feelings. And so people, a lot of people have low emotional IQs just within themselves. Mm-hmm. So they're not able to identify and recognize what they're feeling. And therefore, if they can't recognize it and acknowledge it, they have difficulty then sharing it with their partner. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a huge factor. I think so, too. I mean, because emotions are so consistently coded as something that belongs to the feminine, I think it's emotions are so devalued in our culture and anyone who evidences them is weak or quote unquote crazy or however we want to pathologize emotions. And there's a real undervaluing of how important the information that comes from emotions can be in helping to shape a holistic opinion about something or even to create a more integrated boundary or request with a partner. Um, So how, in your opinion, how do we start to shift that and help people become more aware of even the the need to be more in touch with their own emotions. I think that like when I'm working with couples, I try to help them individually begin to reflect on number one, feelings that they might've had in certain situations, right? Asking themselves the question, like what's happening internally for me and helping them to give words to themselves, not even necessarily sharing it with their partner, but helping them to give words with some individuals. I start with a feelings chart Mm. just to help them to identify the range of emotions that might have come up. Uh, I also will talk about the importance of uh, experiencing the continuum of emotion and being able to share that with your partner and the importance of that kind of being a foundation in your relationship. Um, Because it's so interesting that we're often not taught to recognize or to value our emotions or to share them, um, but they're so needed in order for us to feel connected to another person. They are. They are. And shutting the feelings down or not having a strong command over your own emotions can be a huge struggle then, or or it can bring about a huge deficit in skills relationally for folks. And it sounds like an easy fix to look at a feelings chart or start to build that language. But I think it's actually really challenging when you've been conditioned away from your feelings and your emotions for, for many people, what has been decades of their life. And so I really have a lot of empathy for people who want to feel closer, but are really struggling to build that fluency within themselves first 
but it is possible. And when it becomes a practice, it's something that gets a lot easier and can make all the difference in really helping to increase and expand the intimacy felt in these other areas that you described. Most definitely. And I think, uh, an important factor when we're talking about romantic relationships is that it is also important to help the couple to cultivate safety within the relationship so that there can be this vulnerability so that emotional vulnerability can occur within the relationship because without safety, it will, emotions will continue to be dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Or feel dangerous for the person. Yeah. And safety means different things to different folks, right? right? So being curious with your partner is maybe the first step in figuring out how do we create something that feels safe and, and okay for both of us to begin adventuring into this new depth emotionally with one another. And what are the small steps that we can take? Because as you mentioned, um, there's a lot of undoing things that have been reinforced for many, many years for, for many folks. So what are some of the initial steps, the small steps that we can take uh, to begin to explore this part of ourselves and our relationship that we might have not explored or that we might have neglected? OMGYes.com is a website with findings from the largest ever research study into women's pleasure. In partnership with Kinsey Institute researchers, they asked tens of thousands of women what made their pleasure better, solo and with partners, and then they found the patterns in those discoveries, the physical techniques and psychological techniques. And all that wisdom is organized on OMGYes.com as super honest videos, animations, and how-tos. One thing their research found is how easy it is for us to lose our curiosity about pleasure and intimacy. So many of us think things like, I've already got techniques that work for me. I'm good. But finding out what works for other people can help you find new things you didn't even know you or your partner liked. There's always more to explore. As a sex therapist, I was blown away by how many new things I learned checking out their website. So go to omgyes.com slash get naked for a special discount. That's omgyes.com slash get naked. Doc Erica, we are the loneliest that we've ever been in recent history, maybe ever since it's been documented. And holistic, intimate connections are really at a low. How do you think our culture of electronics has affected our sense of loneliness or connectedness? I would say that um, there was a lot of uncovering that occurred during the pandemic. I know that I began to see a lot of folks during the pandemic who recognized, began to recognize that they had not kind of cultivated real authentic relationships with folks, that they had these active social media kind of relationships or quote unquote friends or followers. But when they were in a position where they had to be kind of sequestered in their homes, didn't have like the dinner after work or the drinks after work or, you know, um, weren't able to connect with others, they realized that they had forgone true in-person human relationships for the number of followers that they had um, or the, 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 the social media friends that they liked uh, their post. 
Um, I think social media has a lot to do with this feeling of loneliness. Another thing I also would say that I think has impacted loneliness, especially when it is related to uh, romantic relationships that is was somehow fostered as well, I would say would was also fostered by social media, uh, is this idea of hookup culture, right? This idea that fleeting sexual relationships are enough and are completely fulfilling. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big supporter of people having casual sex that feels good for them. But I right. hear you, the, the technology and hookup culture, I think, really go hand in hand when we look at the ways that technology has created a dehumanizing or objectifying relationship with another person's avatar, right? We forget that there's another human being on the other side of that because we only see this two-dimensional headshot or whatever shot they've got uh, for their avatar photo. And I think that's been really influential in changing the way we relate to people when we're trying to have fun because fun has now sort of taken on this gamification and it's left folks feeling discardable or discarded. And I think like that, I think that that is a really um, unfortunate uh, repercussion of social media because without the, the humanizing piece, these casual sexual experiences tend to just be really um, empty and callous. And I guess the whole point of a casual situation is to not have to put a ton of energy into it, but a ton of energy has somehow come to mean a lot of respect for the other person's humanity. And I think that's a big, um, a big factor in why we're feeling so disconnected and so lonely because not just through casual sexual hookups, but through the, the way that we so casually like or don't like or swipe on somebody's content, it's really created a lot of distance between each person in the interactions that we have, as much as it can be great and can have us sharing information and experiences with much more fervor than we ever could before. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I, I would also um, add that like we've often talked about it in, in, in you know, psychological and collegial circles. Um, and some of the research is, is, is also supporting this idea of fantasy mm. and that some individuals then have difficulty separating the fantasy from the reality. And even like when I talk about hookup culture, I always underscore the importance of individuals being aware of and authentically acknowledging what feels good for them. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, what I've noticed is that some people will see uh, those things on social media and then they begin to believe, then that's what I should want. Like, that's what I should ascribe to. And so then they begin to engage in it. And then what they realize is it doesn't feel good. I feel bad about myself because what I want is a relationship. Like what I want is that true connection. And sometimes depending on the algorithm, right? Um, that's not what you're seeing on your feed. You're not seeing people in loving, committed, you know, monogamous relationships. And so those who truly desire that sometimes begin to feel guilty and begin to, you know, think that there's something wrong with me. This is what I should be doing rather than being true to 
what my desire is. You mentioned this in your book, Erica, you, you talk about the most important element of intimacy is honesty and specifically honesty with yourself, because if you are not true to yourself first, it's going to be a really poor prognosis for you to be honest and authentic with other people. So what do you think are some of the biggest obstacles to people really being honest with themselves about what they want? I mean, to your point, if someone is seeing something online, they might think they have to want that, yeah. but it's not really congruent with who they are or who they want to be. I, I mean, you just named it. I truly believe that um, one of the major obstacles or threats to personal honesty uh, or authenticity is social pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, and social influence. And that could be from social media. It could also be from my family of origin. Uh, it could be from my peer group uh, that there is this, this is who I should be. These are the values that I should ascribe to. These are the things that I should desire. This is what is considered normal. And I think that, you know, it's that, that societal or social pressure that really impacts people's ability to be honest with themselves. I agree. I call it the rules of membership, right? We, we see groups of people or, or uh, a concept of people and we decide, I want to be like that. I want to be a part of that group. And so in order for me to be a part of that group, I have to also be like those people and uh, adopt these behaviors or these characteristics or these traits. And I think that that, quest for belonging really tightly overcouples with a quest for identity and the seeking of those two things, a sense of self and a sense of belonging, keep people stuck in a place of feeling torn between who they want to be, who they are, what their true values are, and where they want to fit in and, and feel at home. And that's a really tricky spot to be in, especially if there's been an evolution in how you see yourself or you're longing for an evolution and you're in a relationship where that might feel incongruent. I, I totally, uh, totally agree. Um, and I think that that's where so many people struggle, especially when they are, uh, are coming in, for example, uh, because of their romantic relationship, they may be, begin to feel disconnected. They, um, feel a void that something is missing. They feel unfulfilled. There's no spark there. They may not desire their partner anymore. And a lot of it, I believe, often is connected to this not knowing of the self, right? Yeah. And in, in long-term partnerships, it's kind of inevitable that you're going to change and that parts of you that were really core parts of you are, are potentially not going to be sustained parts of your personality or of your value system because we are not static creatures. We're always influenced by who and what is around us. So I think your book offers folks such a great way to carve out a path for the best hope of growing together, right? I, I love in your book, you have 180 activities to help couples connect with each other and you've broken them down into three different categories. What are the three categories of activities? So the three categories are um, activities to do 
which are activities that can be done with relatively no effort, um, really quick. If you only have five minutes, if you only have 10 minutes, if you only have 30 minutes and no prep time. So these are quick things that you can do every day to just connect with your partner. There are things to discuss. So talking about um, your thoughts, your beliefs, your ideas, your feelings. And then the third is uh, things to plan. And so these are activities that will take a little more planning and organization uh, for you and your partner in order to uh, complete the activity. So each of the different activities has a different category of intimacy that's connected with it. And you do a nice job of highlighting that so that folks really get a sense of what are we working on here and how is it going to actually help us? I think your book provides such a great step one, step two, step three for folks who want a more guided experience. And it's also really flexible and open for partners who want more of like a design as you go kind of experience. How do you think What is the best way, in your opinion, for couples to begin to learn how to be more intimate with each other, especially if they grew up with unsafe caregivers or people around them and they didn't quite learn good skills for intimacy or trust or safety when they were young? Of course, the the best way to learn uh, a new skill we know is to practice it and mm. to engage in it, right? So even when I began or when I was in the middle of the book, as you mentioned, I've been working on it for a long time. Uh, you know, I got to like the 90th activity and I was like, why did I say 180? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, 90 is good enough. But I, I wanted 180 is really like six months that practicing uh, intimacy and growing in that area should really be a daily practice. And so using my books, I would tell individuals if I were going to give suggestions would be start with the do activities. There are some um, uh, kind of less intensive, uh, less um, activities that require minimal levels of vulnerability even kind of intentionally doing some of the things that you already do, but kind of slowing it down. Um, In the back of the book, there is a legend and it tells you um, what all of the do activities are. So you could just turn to that page and all of the discuss and plan. And also they are in the legend, they're divided up by a type of intimacy. If a couple wanted to work on emotional intimacy, it tells you all of the activities that are emotional intimacy. But um, starting off with some of the uh, do activities, it might be a little less threatening for partners. I love that. Doing really activates more of our sympathetic nervous system, which feels more engaging more more like I'm, I'm, I'm in action, I'm in control, we have some agency here. And I think that gives couples a, a good place to start, especially when emotional intimacy might feel really scary or vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Plus doing new things. If there are things in the things to do category that you're not familiar with, it elicits all kinds of dopamine and that mm-hmm. dopamine can strengthen your motivation together to create another adventure and yet another. And I really love in your book, you talked about oxytocin and just how key it is for partners to 
develop that trust. And I wonder, can you talk about maybe one of the activities in the book that is good for generating oxytocin together? Again, there are some simple activities that folks already do in some way or have done in their relationship. So even, so one of the activities is setting your clock for 15 minutes earlier than you typically wake up and jump out of bed. Setting your clock for 15 minutes earlier and spending 15 minutes just cuddling with your partner not speaking, not talking about anything, but just kind of in a spooning position or whatever feels comfortable, someone's head on the other's chest and just laying there for 15 minutes and then getting up and beginning your day. Just that simple touch um, does a lot to stimulate, as you mentioned, oxytocin, which is called, often called, referred to as the bonding hormone. Um, it makes us feel connected. It relaxes, right? It relaxes our nervous system um, and can increase dopamine, which helps to improve our mood. There's so many, so many benefits that can come from just holding your partner in your arms. I love that. And for people who maybe get a little nervous being so close face to face, sometimes even just laying side to side or back to back, as long as you're touching uh, can be, can make all the difference in the world and getting started. Yes, most definitely. It could be laying next to each other and just holding hands. Yeah. Right. What's your favorite activity in the book? Okay. Is this going to sound corny? I don't know. I'm going to tell you my favorite activity. (laughs) It might sound a little corny, but um, my favorite activity is turning your bathroom into a tropical getaway. So (laughs) I love this. So I'm like, run uh, a warm bath, have you and your partner put on your swimsuits, get into the tub with a tropical drink, if it's alcohol or non-alcoholic beverage, but something that you have in glasses, turn on your um, music to some tropical island music, dim the lights, maybe even have candles and just sit in the tub. Most folks tubs, yeah, many are not built for two people, but you can sit like facing each other and and, leg, and just sit in the water and have a beverage and engage in whatever conversation. It could be the last TV show that you met, but creating an atmosphere just in your home. And you can do that in like 30, 45 minutes. Um, yeah. I love that. I love it. And you can do it relatively inexpensively too. Exactly. You can go get a, a an inexpensive candle that has a bit of a tropical smell or maybe some some easy flowers at the grocery store just to sort of spruce it up. I love that. It's like a little, a little staycation in your own home that's accessible and on demand. Exactly. And I I try to include activities that didn't require a lot of money, a lot of resources and give folks an idea of how can we jazz up what we do every day and turn it into a time, an, uh, an opportunity for us to connect. I really love that. I mean, it, it reminds me of a saying that I'm going to completely botch, but I'll, I'll do my best. But it's something along the lines of have a life that you don't have to, you know, go on vacation or wait for the weekend to escape. And what I'm hearing from you is that The focus of your book is about integrating these sort of intimate moments into the everyday instead of having it feel like this 
huge albatross that you have to now make time for and do a lot of planning for, which let's face it, who has time for that? Exactly. Exactly. Another activity in the book, um, turning one of these everyday activities is um, let's decide tonight that we're going to have a picnic in the living room rather than eating our dinner at the dinner table. Let's just get a blanket out, put it in the middle of the floor. Again, light a candle, put on some music and, you know, it could be burgers and fries. Love it. Everyone's pets love it too, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so much fun. Exactly. And we have to eat, we eat dinner anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like turning off the TV and just creating a space for us. Some people may have children and sometimes you can integrate the children into that activity. And then when they go back to bed, come back to that blanket on the floor and just have a conversation, you know, talk about, you know, something. And, and it doesn't have to be these large looming conversations. Let's talk about our favorite TV show mm-hmm. or something funny that ha- we saw, you know, today or, or that happened to us today. Well, Dr. Erica, thank you so much for being here and for talking through some of these ideas. I hope that the partners listening have a couple of new thoughts and of things to do with their partner. Where can folks reach you if they want to learn more about your work or if they want to work with you or have you consult with them? Reach me on my website and that is simply Doc Erica and that's D-O-C, Erica with a C dot com. So just docerica.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at it's Doc Erica. Uh, so really simple. People can find me, reach me there, email me, DM me, uh, and uh, and I will respond. Amazing. Thank you again. And thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget to submit your questions to question at getnakedpodcast.com and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. Stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrary. Everyone has questions and I want to answer as many as I can. So feel free to email your questions to question at getnakedpodcast.com. If you're looking for a free 30-minute consultation with me or someone on my team, visit modernintimacy.com. And don't forget to join our newsletter, Modern Intimacy, on Substack. Let's meet back here next week. A new episode drops every Tuesday. Disclaimer, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy and does not constitute a professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or Modern Intimacy. This podcast is strictly for education and entertainment purposes only. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.